So I've been I'm thinking about a question that I think is of high importance, and uh, I thought we'd delve into a little bit more into this question today. And the question is, you know, how comfortable are you that you are getting the financial, not only external financial reporting, financial statements, but the internal financial information that allows you to make the right decisions when you're running your business? And are you confident that those financial statements and internal reporting mechanisms will stand up to the scrutiny of due diligence by a buyer, you know, after you've agreed to a sales price, you know, to to substantiate that valuation? So um, my name is Keith D. I'm president of Osage Advisors. Welcome back to our podcast, The Ins and Outs of Selling a Business. And to help us break that down, I'm very excited to have with us today uh, Dan Bartley. Dan is a principal with uh, Pro CFO Partners. Uh, Pro CFO Partners is a management consulting firm made up of a number of experience and uh, CFOs, uh, mainly around the Northeast and Midwest, that work with business owners uh, through the process. Dan has over 25 years' experience. Uh, you've done a number of, uh, you've worked with public companies, private equity-backed companies, uh, and currently you're working with, you know, on a fractional part-time basis with a number of clients, not only helping them through their, strengthen their financial reporting, but also when they're ready to sell, um, you know, kind of quarterbacking that financial due diligence so you can get to the finish line. So, Dan, thanks for being with us today. My pleasure. So, Dan, when you when you get a call from a business owner, whether it's at the initial stages, hey, I need some help, or they're in the midst of a transaction, I need some help, you know, one of the key areas that come up is, you know, you know, what's my company worth, right? You know, I need to kind of assess that. And that's important to us too, right? That's a key area that we want to know. So, you know, from your perspective, Love to have kind of, you know, you kind of get in there and you know, some of the things that you you want to look at to kind of you know, kind of assess the situation and what and how you can answer that question appropriately for them. Yeah, it's a, it's part of big part of what I do, actually. Um, and every owner on, on some level is thinking at some time I'm going to I will sell. Uh, so it's something they should be thinking about. Uh, and a lot of owners have a preconceived notion or, or some idea of what they think they're worth uh, based on a conversation with their uncle or a banker or somebody. And, and normally that preconception is wrong. So what I do is I go in and I, I do a deep dive on the business, uh, on the financial statements themselves. And what I like to do is I do that for a, a three-year period by month, a balance sheet, income statement, and a cash flow statement that I normally have to create. Uh, and based on what I see, I will sit down with the owner and say, this is what I've come up with. This is what I see. Uh, and based on what I see, this is what a, potentially from a starting point, I think you might be worth. Well, you know, it's interesting because your point's right on. It's like we call up, we, we get we get a phone call from a business owner and he or she says, well, my business is worth X. I said, well, how did you determine that? And it's like, well, my buddy sold his business you know, for, for 10 X or, or 15 million or 20, whatever the number is. And I said, well, that, yeah, well, what, what, what kind of business does he have? Well, he has a reoccurring revenue subscription based software model. And what do you have? Well, I'm a manufacturer. Well, it's not, it's apples and oranges, right? So what yep. we like to do, we take the same approach you do, right? And, and hopefully they, 
is that we want to have a meeting of the minds on value. And so what we look for is ask them to supply us uh, with, you know, three, four years financials, maybe a current year projection. And then we kind of run it through this model that we've developed over 20 years plus, And we come mm -hmm. up with a range. We didn't say like your company's worth X. Like, yep. Based on current market, we think it's worth X and Y. But for us, all the input is, is coming from our, coming from that potential client. So mm -hmm. if that information is not accurate or uh, uh, for whatever reason, you know, it, when you get to the next step, okay, we think it's worth 10 to 12 million or 20 to 30 million. But when someone like yourself goes and says, you know, EBITDA is really 1 million versus one and a half because the X has a huge impact mm -hmm. on value, right? So mm -hmm. you know, yep. what are some of the things that you kind of really start to dig into initially? Um, you know, again, it's the quality of the numbers, supporting supporting through through due diligence process. You know, what are some of the steps that you initially take to kind of really, you know, roll up your sleeves, so to speak, and dig in? Yeah, well, that's why I do it on a monthly basis, as I, I just mentioned. I, that's why I dig in three years is my norm. Um, and I do it on a monthly basis because I will see strange things. And that happens more often than not, where in the financial statements, it just doesn't make sense. Often, not always. But there's things in there that I'm like, I, I know it's it's not right. Your margins are fluctuating too much. Your sales is fluctuating too much. Your operating expenses are fluctuating too much. And then I talk it through. And then with the owner we'll, and their accountant, we'll be able to figure out, okay, what's happening in here? And let's see if we can make sense out of it to the point where I feel that what I'm seeing makes sense. And uh, it, I won't even discuss valuation until I, I get to that point, which depending on the company, you know, can take some time or, or the, it could be high quality financial statements when I walk in. Usually not. Yeah. So there's one thing about reporting your numbers as a public company and reporting mm -hmm. your numbers as a private company, right? So when you do that deep dive, and we ask the question all the time as well, what are the, you know, the ad backs? Well, what do you mean? Mm -hmm. You know, you know, normalization of uh, officer salary, maybe, you know, your family business, so you're taking care of your family, they're on the payroll, but they don't really work there. They're not going to be there post-closing. Maybe you are paying yourself a very uh, lucrative rent uh, above fair market mm -hmm. value. Certainly there's, uh, you take certain discretionary items into account, extraordinary items that go through the business. And those all have value, right? Mm -hmm. When we do our, our, our book, our SIM, Confidential Memorandum, we set, we show two sets of financials, right? As reported mm -hmm. and as adjusted. And we have a schedule that kind of bridges with the ad backs. And those ad mm -hmm. backs need to be supported during a very, you know, uh, scrutinized during due diligence. And if they're supported and verified by the buyer, they accept them uh, or they don't. It depends on, mm -hmm. you know, uh, you know, negotiation sometimes or different buyers accept and different buyers don't. So maybe these buyers win the deal. The other ones don't. So, you know, when you when you're looking at these numbers and you see what I would call uh, things going through there. Right. Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, you sit down with the owner and say, he or she's got to kind of kind of direct you sometimes as to, oh, by mm -hmm. the way, right? Um, or this is not on the books or, you know, you kind of, it's like a lot of moving parts, right? You got to kind of bring it all mm -hmm. together and say, okay, this is the real picture. And so in order to get the real picture, um, we you need to have start reporting this way for the next 12, 18, 24 months in order to get the buyer to buy into what you're really making. 
Yeah, well, and this is where at Pro CFO Partners, we really bring a lot of value because it's exactly those items that make the difference in valuation. Uh, and it is part of the deep dive. It's stage two. Stage one is where I say, okay, the numbers I'm looking at seem to be correct. Now let's dig in and say, as you just described, what's in there? That if I was the buyer, and now I put my buyer's hat on, I say, if I was the buyer, what won't I have to incur? Because I'm buying your business. And you named a number of them. But there's also things like they could have been expensing their capital improvements. Uh, very common because they'll do that for tax purposes. And I'm like, no, that's a capital improvement put on the balance sheet. Uh, and well, and sometimes you have employees. My brother-in-law works here. This person works here. Well, are they really going to be part of the business going forward? And that's it. As you just alluded to, it is a very big part of the, the actual final valuation is saying, okay, what do we both agree when I, as buyer, take over this business, it's going to generate in income. And that's what drives the value. Yeah, so, you know, and I can, we run this a lot, uh, is that we have clients that have audited financials, have what mm -hmm. we call a review, but they're kind of like a light reviewed financial. So it's, there is a lot of level of skepticism from the buyer, which could have effect on value. Then you have your com compiled, which is really just, hey, give us your numbers. We'll put our letter on it. We have, we take no opinion on it or what, no, uh, at all. And then of course the, um, the accounting method that you're using. Mm. And you'd be surprised, uh, I shouldn't say surprised, but it's not uncommon that we have clients. We, you know, we deal with family companies, right? Five million up to 100, 150 million in value, uh, even even higher. But even at the level of, you know, a 15, 20 million dollar company, they're not reporting on gap basis. For, for mm. audience, gap is, you know, generally accepted accounting principles, which the buyers you re rely on as a basis to go get a loan to help buy their business without gap financials, there's, there's a potential discrepancy. So we see, you know, we've had companies that report literally cash basis. Mm -hmm. And so we have to go yep. out to, you know, folks like yourself, pro CFO partner and say, you know, we can't do this. We need accrual basis accounting or at least come up with an accrual basis internal accounting. So we get a true picture that the buyer can rely on. I mean, Situations that you run into, I'm sure you you, you see this, and it's like uh, you're not really getting a true picture by looking at your receipts versus your expenses versus what your real liabilities are and what your receivables assets are. Oh, absolutely, 100% true. And and given our sweet spot, which is pretty similar to what you just described, five million to 100 million in gross revenue, I rarely see audited financial statements, if ever. And I'm often surprised if I see reviewed financial statements. So, and that's fine because given my background, I can look at your financial statements and I can figure it out for myself. Um, what I do find is useful too, and a lot of people, thank goodness, are using QuickBooks Online now where I can go in and on my own, just start to drill into everything and say, okay, this makes no sense. Your accruals are wrong. Your inventories are wrong. Uh, and I can see that by just drilling in it to myself, and then I can raise these issues with the owner so we get a clearer picture, you know, as part of the whole process. But you're you're 100% right. That's part of the process because you know that a buyer is going to come in and they're going to bring in a team that are experts. And they're going to do exactly what I'm doing in advance is do a deep dive and say, are these financial statements correct? Are they in compliance with GAP? And if they're not, or if the financial statements are wrong, it gets very expensive with valuation. Yeah, and some you know, business owners tend not to think about this. You know, look, I'm just trying to run my business. I have people that do this for me, and I'm assuming it's right. And it could be right, right? Income, I need to file my tax return. 
with the, with the federal government and, and my state, you know, whatever, and local authorities. And I file that based on the, uh, that I'm, I'm, I'm biting by all the rules and regulations. But from a financial perspective, I really don't have a lot of debt or any debt. You know, uh, it's, it's a, we have a very strong business. So I've never really had to provide external financial statements, you know, to, um, to a bank, mm-hmm. you know, so you're looking at it, what they don't, I think sometimes, you know, don't think about is, is that, you know, when you sell your company during due diligence, right, you're going through this process, you know, you're going to get stressed on every item on the balance sheet. Right. They really oh, look yeah. at the, the mm-hmm. balance sheet dictates what the income statement is going to show. Right. No one really mm-hmm. focuses on the balance sheet. They focus on I made money. What's my margin? I made money. Right. But when you mm-hmm. look at the balance sheet, uh, items on the balance sheet. Right. Mm-hmm. And I'll bring up one. that always comes up for companies that are in manufacturing is inventory. Mm-hmm. Right. And I'm I'm sure, you know, over the years that has given you a lot of, you know, agita and like trying to wrap your arms around what's the real inventory number, you know, is it? Re- is oh yeah. It's a, it's a, it's if, if, if a company does have inventory, if they do, and it's a, you know, material part of the balance sheet, as you just described, Oh, it's certainly an issue. And one of the things that comes up as part of closing, as you know, would be a, an assessment of the actual fair market value, fair market value. What can I liquidate this for if I had to uh, at closing? And everybody, depending on the sophistication of the the, uh, the company and its uh, financial condition, the sophistication of its inventory could be all over the place. It could be they really don't have an inventory system, um, or, or it could be that the one they're using is really not that accurate. Or, all the way up to, I do have clients that we've converted over to full inventory perpetual systems where we know it's accurate, and they do cycle counts to make sure it's accurate. So yeah, you have the full range of level of accuracy of inventory. Yeah. So in this scenario where a couple of questions to that on inventory, cause it always comes up and it's like, well, I actually have more inventories on the books, right? For whatever they expensed it or it didn't, it, it's not showing up, but I want to, you know, but if, you know, I'll put it on the books now. I said, the buyer's not going to buy into that. Right. Yeah. I mean, they think you've taken the value. Uh, you, you got some value for, uh, you know, writing it down or, 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 or expensing it in uh, in the tax benefit for that, right? Well, however you treat it. But you can't get it both ways. So, well, you know, I got a million dollars of inventory that I've accumulated over 10 years at, you know, kind of an expense where I use a bit of it and I, and I wrote the whole thing off to cost of sales, but I still have these rolls of coil over here and all this stuff, which is really usable. And the, buy, and, the and the seller often says to us, well, can I get value for that? And I'm like, not really. I mean, because, you know, <laughs> you know so, and, and if you, if you, you know, for every dollar, you know, you, you've reduced your income by for tax reasons, whatever, however it works out, mm. you're losing value. Like you you could lose four five, six times the dollar value by not properly mm. recording your inventory. So even if you're like early in stage, right. And you tell you you're convincing the business owner, the value of doing proper reporting on that, when you're ready to sell a couple, three years from now, is going to be immense. Could be immense, depending on the, you know what we're talking about. And yeah. they they always try to claw back and get that money, and the buyer just won't buy into it. No, well, and again, I, I when I'm involved in a situation like that, I put my buyer's hat on, and I say, okay, give me a list. 
I want to see what your inventory is. Okay, you were able, you can't come up with a list? Well, guess what? You're going to have to come up with a list and tell me what your inventory is. And then the second piece is, what are you valuing your inventory at? Line by line. And how did you come up with that value? Is that what you bought it at? And what's, you know, and how how good is that? How solid is that information? Because, yeah, a buyer's definitely going to want to know this is what you bought it for. This is how much you have hand on hand. This is what it's worth. And, and what happens, as you know, if you don't do that well, it's just a major discounting process. Again, as a buyer, you're going to say, well, you think your inventory is worth a million dollars, but your, your valuation process isn't good. Your list isn't good. So I'm just going to discount it by 50% to protect myself. Uh, and that's why, as you said, it's very important to do that and do it properly early on, as early as you can do it, because it, it drives a lot of your profitability as you, you know, as your normal working condition, but it also is a big part of the uh, acquisition. Yeah. So looking at the long-term value of proper reporting versus the short-term benefit of maybe taking some liberties, so to speak. Right. I mean, this all comes up. I mean, and, and the thing is, you know, the financial, we didn't even talk about, but you know, I think we may have mentioned in prior episodes, but you know, when it comes down to the asset purchase agreement or stock purchase agreement, mm -hmm. the seller has to rep in yep. the report the financial results, right? You have to sign yep. off because if you're repping that your, your financials are consistent with generally accepted accounting principles, which is the gold standard for mm -hmm. how financial reporting, just like there's there's regulations and rules for you know uh, buying and selling stocks and how you trade and all this kind of stuff through SEC and FINRA, and we read about that. We don't read so much about um, the financial reporting for family companies, but you have to, I don't care if you're a billion dollar business or a $2 million business, there's gonna be a rep that you have to a rep that mm -hmm. your numbers are accurate, except for, Right. Mm -hmm. You have to come up like we just sold a company that was mainly cash basis, um, in income tax basis, which is like a hybrid. Right. And we had to come up with a rep that basically that the buyer and seller agreed to. Yeah, we're in compliance with GAP except for the following. And there was like seven items on that list. And that's a lot of legal negotiation and time and energy mm -hmm. expense for that rep. Right. Yep. That people are comfortable with make sure it's right now buyers of family-owned companies understand that there's could, could be areas that and they expect some some of this stuff but you know you're still repping to the quality mm -hmm. of your numbers except for a few items and if you don't rep to it there's no deal or the buyer's going to significantly discount potentially the value you know they're going to yeah no 100 and that's one of the reasons you need to have a good attorney who's very experienced in these type of transactions and a good financial advisor like yourself or proceeds or partners um, because you're spot on. What happens is you go through the whole negotiation process, you come up with a value and now the attorneys get involved and now they have this pages and pages of representations and warranties that as I explained to my clients and you would explain to your clients, these are things that you're signing off on that's saying these things are true. These things are correct. And you better be very careful about what you uh, agree and represent are true because, as you know, most transactions have some component of a deferred purchase price. Either there's a note involved, whatever, and the buyer, if those representations and warranties are not correct, a year from now, they say, oh, I owe you this money. But guess what? Your representations and warranties were incorrect. 
you're not in compliance with GAAP or whatever other representations and warranties you made. That's why you have to be extremely careful with when you do a transaction like that, because what I tell my clients, it's not the purchase price. That's the most important thing. It's at the end of the day, when you got paid after everything went through its course, what was the most amount of money that you received? That's what really matters. So this is all extremely important, right? And it's sometimes an afterthought for business owners. You know, they're running, they're getting their, I mean, they're getting their, you know, whether their systems are antiquated um, uh, or the best in the business, you know, it's garbage in, garbage out, right? So mm -hmm. controls in place, they think they've invested. I, I look, I invested, uh, uh, you know, quarter million dollars in my financial reporting that ties into my ERP system so I can capture everything I need for manufacturing and I'm good. But again, like I said, garbage. So it's like they feel that they've invested, so it's all going to work. But it's really kind of like the team behind it that's really oh, yeah. seeing it. I mean, we've run in situations where, you know, unfortunately, uh, that that those systems are, they know they were there, but the, the person that running that system behind them is not kind of using it right. They're still using their Excel spreadsheet and they're making a journal entry into the financial system. So they're not really efficient. I mean from your perspective, when you're, you do, like you said, you're doing your deep dive. I'm sure mm -hmm. that aspect is like, okay, how, how much of the system are you really utilizing in effective? Management? Yeah, no. And, and, and even the system itself. So I have one client in particular, a small company uh, that has a nice inventory system, you know, where, you know, record the, it's tied to the purchase orders as the orders are made. It, it relieves inventory properly as it happens. Every month when I go through the financial statements, the first thing I look at is like that gross profit. And I'm like, I'm sorry, I think there's an error in your inventory. I could just see it. And sure enough, they'll do a deep dive and it's things like, oh, we got a whole bunch of returns. Oh, we, that we didn't record correctly. And, but we counted it in our inventory when we did our physical count. And I'm like, well, there you go. And that type of thing happens all the time. So even if you do have a fairly good system in place, you still have to have a system down to make sure what's coming out and what's hitting the financial statements is correct. And very often it's not. So, you know, this is all talking about current historical numbers, the whole bit, you know, and we talked about in a prior uh, podcast about, you know, getting to a letter of intent with a potential buyer or buyers. In our case, we run an auction process. So we bring multiple parties at the same time. The number one reason deals don't get to LOI is the buyer can't get a handle or the seller can't, um, convince or substantiate a, a growth plan, right? So mm -hmm. historically, one thing, day-to-day -day is one thing, but projecting out, forecasting, budgeting, those areas, that is probably the most critical aspect to getting a buyer excited about it. Not just looking at, oh, we're going to do 13 million or 14 million next year, or 100 million, and well, okay, how are you going to get there, right? Oh, yeah, I mean, yeah. Talk a little bit about how you your role as their, 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 you know, fraction part-time CFO, you know, where you, you know, once you get things kind of like in order, like, okay, let's look at the future. What are we going to do this year? What are we going to do next year? In anticipation yep. of supporting your assumptions and um, uh, uh, for, for, for future revenue growth and profitability. Yeah, hundred percent. Very important. And I do that with each one of my clients. I not only do projected cash flows, I do projected income statements, projected balance sheets. And I'm like, okay, where are we going? And as you said, 
Uh, business owners are very gen often generally optimistic and, hey, everything looks wonderful towards the future. And that's when I say, yeah, well, I'm going to be an optimist. I'm going to be an optimist. I'm with you, but prove it to me. Right. How are you getting from point A to point B? And walk me through it. And I, you know, I'm nice about it. <laughs> I think my clients appreciate my efforts, but I, I, I drive that pretty hard. I'm like, no, you you show me. What do you think? Where are these new channels? And by the way, if you think you're going to have all this growth, why haven't you done it already? And I can be, and I can push pretty hard on that um, because it forces them to really do a deep dive on there and said, okay, I can grow, but how am I going to do it? How much marketing expense am I, is that going to incur? How's that going to change the infrastructure of my business? There's a lot of things that come along with growth as, as good as growth can be. And as important as growth can be, you really have to do it very intelligently or you can get yourself into trouble and you can also reach a point where you start to uh, not execute like you'd like to, and that can impact your business. So you're almost acting like a buyer in that perspective, right? You're like challenging 100%. Yes. everything that the owner is saying to you. He or saying to in you. In a nice way. In a nice way. Because <laughs> <laughs> you want to come back the next day, right? So, um, But you're saying, look, this, this is what's going to happen, right? This, these yes. questions are going to come up. And you, the more prepared you are to answer those questions and support it, like you're talking about, whether it's a five-year plan where you can talk about here's our projected balance sheet, here's our income state, projected cash flows, here's our capital improvement needs. Because, right, what big question we get all the time, we do a Q&A session with the potential buyers for our companies. What is your expected capital improvements over the next three years? And some of our clients look at us like, I don't know, or yeah. I, think I need a new machine, I need to upgrade, whatever, maybe half a million dollars. Other clients have consistently invested in new machinery. Right. But to mm -hmm. your point, you are acting as uh, you have a quote unquote buyer due diligence hat. Right. Because we said mm -hmm. when I opened the open question I, I, I raised was, will your financial statements hold up to the scrutiny of a yeah. buyer due, due during the due diligence process to support the purchase price or sales price? Yeah. Yeah. And not only that, Keith, not only that, Keith, and then you're getting on to an important point here. Again, and I make it very clear to my clients, I, and I have to say it as as I get more and more uh, objective with them. <laughs> I always say, I work for you. Let Just keep that in mind. And if you think I'm being tough, wait till you meet the buyer. Um, and it's other issues that come up. And I'm like, I need to know your skeletons because a buyer will find them. Undoubtedly, the buyer will find them. What are skeletons? Oh, there's litigation out there from a couple of years ago. Don't worry about it. I'm like... Yeah. I'm worried about it. What is it? I have some notifications from the IRS. Not a big deal. Don't worry about it. I wasn't doing my 1099s correctly. Uh, um, I am worried about it. <laughs> right. Tell me about it. Really let me look at it and, and see what's going on with these skeletons in the closet because they get very expensive. As you know, when you get to the point of you're going to close now, now you're really reaching the finish line and what these issues comes up. If they're not resolved in advance, which is what I try and do with all my clients, they are extremely expensive because the buyer says, I'm not taking a risk with that skeleton. That's your skeleton. So I'm going to reduce the purchase price by X dollars until you fix that. And every company has skeletons. Yeah, they're going to reduce the purchase price or they're going to escrow for it. So the money's going to yep. go into a separate account. Okay, we had a situation where they were supposed to pay, you know, uh, they paid sales tax in 26 states, but they didn't pay sales tax in this one state because they had this exemption which turned out to be true but getting to that 
confirmation of that was expensive. It was a delayed to deal, additional expenses, bringing consultants in, experts in, everything else. So, you know, a lot of these things pop up and we're all about transparency and no surprises, right? Yep. I mean, the most, the more you minimize all that surprises, the higher valuation and the more transparent you are in communication back and forth when things do come up and they do come up, it's business. You're running a bit, not everything's perfect. Exactly. Come up, right? You exactly. get out there, you find, you got a willing buyer, willing seller, you find a solution and um, you get to close. Exactly. As you know, Keith, the, what hangs in the air in all these transactions is an element of risk, right? Again, wearing my buyer's hat. I want to mitigate risk as much as possible. And the more that you're transparent with me, the more that you're open about the skeletons, your financial condition, anything else that's in the closet, the, the more I can, I'm comfortable that what I'm getting from you is correct. And it does influence purchase price and the whole transaction. Great. You know, Dan, this has been terrific. And uh, I'd like to have you back maybe get into some examples, uh, you know, kind of focused on uh, the uh, transaction process from a sell side of things that you had to go in and kind of Mr. Fix it and how you kind of steered the mm -hmm. ship. Um, so if we can have you back for another episode, kind of continue this conversation, that would be great. Sure. That'd be great. I look forward to it. Well, I appreciate you being here today. Um, uh, thank you everybody for joining us today. Um, hope you enjoyed our, our episode with, uh, Dan Bartley. Um, if you'd like to view other episodes, uh, you can find us um, wherever you get your podcasts or you can subscribe to our YouTube channel, The Ins and Outs of Selling a Business, uh, by hitting the subscriber button. Again, my name's Keith D. I'm founder of Osage Advisors. We're a boutique investment bank working with business owners looking to sell their companies, typically with $5 million in revenue and up. Uh, any questions, feel free to call me at 860-767-3273, uh, extension 1001, uh, or you can email me at kdee at osageadvisors.com. To learn more about our firm, please visit our website at osageadvisors.com. Uh, thanks again for being here, and have a great day.